Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com for all your manscaping needs. Matt, who manscaped today? I know who manscaped today. and Not only did he manscape, but he used the Lawnmower 4.0. Edder Militao, the man was a monster. He definitely manscaped in the locker room multiple times before this game because he got on the end of every cross, every set piece. He could have scored a hat trick in this game, but ultimately did score a towering header, the game-winning goal, and just I think we're all falling in love with Edder Militao. Edder, keep manscaping. Keep it up. You're playing great. Listeners. Go to manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID to get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. Y de ahí te saca tres acciones más. Sexo corner, todos para el Madrid. Centro de Isco. Welcome to the Managing Budget Post Game Podcast. It is Saturday, May 1st, just before 5, 6 o'clock Eastern. Uh, and we are here to discuss Real Madrid's win over Osasuna. Big win. And uh, it was getting a little bit nervy towards the end, but Militao, after his fourth header, finally came good and scored an incredible header, really, which we'll break down. And a week ago, Matt, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about. We were discussing a nil-nil draw against Real Betis. No one was really hopeful. I mean, we weren't like completely down and out, but you watch how this match day unfolds. A day later, Atletico lose to Athletic. And then a few days later on the same match day, because Barca are playing their game in hand, they lose to Granada. And all of a sudden, you have this crazy wide-open league title race, which got even super interesting today, earlier, when Marcos Llorente gave away a penalty and then... All Black saved the penalty uh, coming off of his line. That was a little bit controversial. So it's just been a roller coaster. Barca play tomorrow against Valencia. Uh, I'm not going to expect much there just to keep my expectations low. But certainly, I was looking at this Osasuna game thinking we should win it, but also trying to figure out, like, with all the rotations and Chelsea looming and the injuries and every day we're dealing with a different one and Varane leaving at halftime today. That's another talking point we have to get to. So I'm just glad we got the W, Matt Wiltsey, and uh, we got out of there. So let's break this down. First of all, how are you, my friend? How is your tooth? Is your tooth better? What's the tooth situation? My tooth is better. My tooth is better. It's all, all fixed up. We're good to go. Um, but and I, I'm doing well, and I'm, I really enjoyed this match. Like I was really happy afterwards. I felt like uh, during that final 20 minutes when we were searching for the goal, I, re- I felt a difference compared to previous draws, even from, from last week against Real Betis. Like, I was kind of resigned on that one and just kind of felt like, oh, all right, we're, we're getting a draw. But for this one, I, was, I felt 
I don't know what the word like. I just felt my fandom more. I I wanted this one. I really wanted us to find a way. I really wanted us to get a goal. I was really into this match, and um, fortunately, it came through Edermil, big Edermilly Tao, who's just making quite a name for himself. I mean, like with in terms of engagement and fun factor, it's really it's fun to have these last five games. Like we're going to be locked in as fans. It's going to be fun to have that feeling because, you know, it's not, you know, football has been kind of up and down the last two years or so, obviously. And uh, we've been on this podcast plenty of times this season discussing, uh, is this the worst game of the season? Is this the worst game of the season? Is this the worst game of the season? With some good games peppered throughout. But even some of the games we've won haven't been exciting and or, or pretty. Um, this one was interesting because, yeah, I agree with you, a lot of fun. Um, the first half flew by. The second half was gripping because we were just waiting for that goal, which uh, if we didn't get it, obviously just makes this league title run really complicated and difficult to do. So um, we were treated to three good performances from the Castilla players. We were treated to rest for Kroos and Modric. And we were treated to another great Militao performance, and Hazard kind of upping his match fitness before the Chelsea game. So why don't we start with the starting lineup, Matt? Do you did you expect both Modric and Cruz to sit? And when Zidane was talking about rotations after the Chelsea game, did you kind of have something in mind, or were you kind of just as curious as the rest of us? Because I think it was going to be difficult to assess like what those rotations were, especially after he kind of twisted it again in uh, the press conference. I think it was yesterday where he said, you know we have to put our best lineup possible. So it was going to be hard to juggle. So what did you think of the starting lineup? Yeah, actually, I think I mentioned it on the last part. I actually did expect Antonio Blanco and Casemiro to kind of play that double pivot role just because we'd seen it before and it was a way for Zidane to rest both Cruz and Modric. What I didn't expect was um, the four attackers to be starting together because I assume maybe maybe it was a chance to give Eden Hazard a start and rest some others, but I didn't think he would play alongside Vicius Asensio and Benzema. And so it was first thing I was looking for was just to see how we were set up, and more or less it was the four-two-three-one. At least that that was our initial shape. It, it would morph from time to time, and in possession it it looked more like a four-two-four. Um, but I think the most exciting thing to see was just those four players. Uh, kind of combining and how what they would do in offense and how it would look. And we, I think we talked about it last, last podcast as well, is that we wanted to see how many times that Vinicius and Hazard really played together. I think it was one time post-lockdown when Vinicius scored that chip goal. I believe it was against Mallorca. And um, that was really the only time we seen them play together. So I was curious to see how that would play out again. And then the other thing that the big point I was looking for in this game was how would we progress the ball without Cruz and Modric being those quarterbacks for us, who, who and how were we going to progress the ball? And, um, shape helped us in this regard because they played pretty narrow. And so that gave our weak side fullback or even uh, winger a lot of space on the switch. And so, I think Blanco, Casemiro, Varane, when he was in, and Militao all did a good job of switching the field of play when it was on and finding that that weak side. Yeah, the ball progression one is an interesting one to look at because, um, to me, just looking at that lineup, like we had the Blanco-Casemiro double pivot against Cadiz, and Cadiz just didn't really put much pressure on our midfield. And I think it made it 
easy for Blanco and Casemiro to make some vertical passes and whatnot. And uh, and that's not to discredit what Blanco did in that game, but I I did think like, you know, I don't I don't think every team is going to give him that kind of space. And without that third central midfielder, I was looking at the options. I think it was going to be a lot of onus on Asensio or Hazard. I wasn't sure exactly what the roles would be until you kind of saw it. And and it actually was pretty fluid. But of the but Asensio and Hazard were central to an extent. I think Asensio was a little bit more central. And um, he often took that mantle. Like there were even times where he was popping deep in like zone 14 to intercept cutbacks um, and had a couple of ball carrying sequences in the first half, sort of hazard. But to me, there was going to be a lot on really all four of those attackers to drop deep to a certain extent. We already know what Benzema does for our ball progression dropping deep. Um, so I was super curious to know. And, and in a lot of ways, those four players can do a lot of the same thing. So I was curious to know what it would look like and how it, how it would unfold. And obviously with uh, with no Ramos back there still and no, and you don't have Mendy's ball carrying that, that uh, build up does become a little bit kind of like interesting to, to look at. I will say I don't think Osasuna, you know, as as nervy as this was, this was Osasuna, especially as the game wore on, getting deeper and deeper into a lower block. There were like at points like flurries in the second half where like it seemed every single player was in the box, like from both teams, apart from Courtois. There was just so much happening. There was uh, so much clutter in the box. And they didn't really threaten us in transition. And, and that was the other thing I was looking out for. Casemiro, Blanco, Dao Pivot, actually on paper, it seems pretty okay. I mean, those Blanco, again, thrives in Dao Pivot more, he does, more so than he does in a single pivot. And, um, and Casemiro is Casemiro. So I was kind of just wondering what it would look like from a defensive perspective. Because again, as much as onus there would have been on Asensio and Co. in the build-up phase, there would have been a lot that they would have needed to help defensively too in transition. Our high line got a little bit dicey in the second half, but nothing that really punished us. Um, there was that huge chance where Javi Martinez gets into our the half space between Marcelo and Nacho. And we got lucky that he had a bit of a heavy touch there, but that was the closest they came to really threatening. They didn't even get a shot off. Um, but my point was basically like, I think defensively we generally did fine. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too bothered by what Osasuna were doing on the other end, which is great because Blanco was spread a little thin trying to cover for Marcelo's flank on that side. And, uh, and Odria Zola, um, really, we, nothing really happened that bothered me on the Odria Zola side either. So I think it was pretty good on both ends. But uh, how we would score the goal became a little bit more um, fuzzy to me. I just kind of knew it was going to be through something very difficult, probably a set piece, a header through traffic, some um, just our, our moment of individual brilliance. And that's kind of the way this game was heading. And no pun intended, Militao, after his fourth header, um, breaks the ice. So what caught, what caught your eye, Matt, from the first half that you want to address first? So I think I, I agree with your assessment. And I think that really Osasuna didn't cause us problems. There was maybe one moment in the first 10 minutes where they had two good chances to put in good deliveries from wide positions and, and they completely wasted it. Um, and I felt like we were giving them too much space and too much time to pick up their heads and find a pass. But other than that, I mean, I thought, I thought we did well defensively. Militao had a couple um, good defensive interceptions. And then like you mentioned, Antonio Blanco did a tremendous job covering for Marcelo and just, 
getting over to that space that Marcelo leaves behind. And and the big thing with that is Blanco not only gets over there, but when he when he kind of sprints over to the left side, he's obviously leaving the middle vacant. But what he did well was he got over there quick enough and closed down the angle that they couldn't that uh, the Osasuna player couldn't um, find the pass to the middle, the vacant space because he closed that angle off and because he got in front of him so quickly. So that I, I think that was a good credit to Antonio Blanco, and I really liked I I liked what I saw from him. I think he he looks like a player that has played for Real Madrid for like 30, 40 games. Like it doesn't yeah. look like this is his first few games. He looks very confident on the ball. Uh, he I like his crisp passing, and he plays it like he's smart. He doesn't try to do anything too crazy. He doesn't try to play risky passes he plays safe passes keeps the ball circulation at a good level and just does his job well like covers the right spaces and he's not going to be like this all action super technical incredible player but he just he fits that role well and and plays that role really well i i like what i've seen from him and he i agree with you like he has that the body language looks good to me the body language looked good against Cadiz too actually you know what like this entire Castilla crop, I mean, it's it's one of our better ones in yeah. recent memory. Yeah. And they all look comfortable. Everyone from Arribas to Miguel Gutierrez to, to Blanco. And with Blanco, there, there was the covering for Marcelo thing, but he also dropped to clear. Uh, like he was popping up at the far post to clear crosses coming in. He even had one really beautiful cross to Militao. I think that was one of the Militao headers was actually across yeah. from him. Um, and even like, some of the couple of the through balls that he overhit, they were well intentioned. I think he was doing the right thing, and um, he also he also had a, a really good cover up from a bad Militao pass in the second half. Militao, that was his probably one stain in this game was that some of his passes were were bad and a little bit risky. Um, the only thing that Blanco had in this game that I thought could have been disastrous was he had one gamble in the second half. Um, trying to do a step up intervention, he totally yeah. missed it, and also when it broke behind him. But again, they didn't yeah. punish us, so I think that was that was pretty much the only thing I nitpick with Blanco's performance. But he looks good. He looks good. Um, what did you think of the role of the front four? Did who stood out to you? Um, and maybe do you want to just kind of go over like the differences in their positioning and stuff? So yeah, we had. Like five minutes in, there was a great sequence where Hazard, Vinicius, and Benzema all combined around the box to a really dangerous effect, and Hazard got a cross off that um, the keeper um, parried, and then it went, it fell to Vinicius, who passed it to Asensio, and he just kind of volleyed it. But like that, that sequence there and that interchange between the three of them, I was hoping to see more of that, and it only, it, it really only appeared that one time. And so I was a little disappointed by that. But what we saw in, was Vinicius playing as the as a left winger. Benzema and Hazard um, were playing the furthest forward, and Hazard would be, uh, you could call him the number 10, more withdrawn. He would usually come a little bit deeper to pick up the ball. Um, but if Benzema did so, then Hazard would stay high. And then Asensio was on the right wing, but like you mentioned, Keon, he more or less came centrally to get on his stronger left foot and just left the the wing vacant for Odriozola to to run up and down. Yeah, the uh of the of the four attackers, the least fluid was Vinicius who was kind of pretty much positioned on that left side. 
Hazard in a sense, like Hazard would often drift centrally, usually not all, all to the right, but uh, Asensio would kind of go central right. And if you kind of look at their heat map, it, it's symmetrical with Vinicius, uh, with uh, Asensio and Hazard in the sense that Hazard kind of goes to the left half space and Asensio to the right half space, but both of them drift centrally as well and try to carry the ball up the field. And uh, I've always wanted to know how you could fit Hazard and Vinicius together and have them coexist. They haven't been able to make it work over these past two years or so, one and a half years or whatever it's been. Admittedly, they haven't really had much of the opportunity. Like the sample size is pretty small, still relatively speaking, because Hazard just hasn't been around. And um, I always think like it's always like Hazard has to be a little bit more fluid than Vinicius for it to work because he's more comfortable playing that role than Vinicius, who's more of a, a pure left winger or an inverted left winger. And today Hazard was kind of playing the role that I think you, you know, how it would have to work. But um, I was impressed with his connection with Vinicius um, on the left. It wasn't, again, it wasn't too prolific because Hazard drifted a lot centrally, but um, he made underlapping runs. He went into that half space. Vinicius could pick him out or Marcelo could pick him out. And um, he had some really good, confident touches in this game. Obviously, we all saw the backflip. What do you call it? A back flick through ball? Back heel, yeah. Back heel yeah. through ball to Asensio, which was outrageous. Um, yeah. His off ball speed looked good to me. His fluidity off the ball looked good to me. All that stuff looked good to me. Do you think he starts against Chelsea? I don't know. You never know with Zidane, especially because he really, I feel like he holds Hazard to the same standard as Benzema, like, and his love for him. So. I don't know. I, I personally, I kind of hope they still hold off. Like I just, at this point, I'm still, I'm still at the mindset that he take it as slow as possible with that hazard. We've tried to rush him back so many times. Like, let's just take our time. And, um, I just, in this match, I, I agree. I thought he played pretty well. It's just, it's crazy to me how many back heel flicks he attempts in it single game like it's got to be like five per game <laughs> in the first half alone i think he had three or four and uh, a couple of them didn't come off and a couple of them worked to great effect like when he gets it right it, it can break lines and just set you free and we saw that especially on the back heel to asensio and i think like madrid's best moment the best moments of the game came in this 10 minute period from the 23rd minute to basically the 33rd minute where I counted, we we created six goal-scoring opportunities. Um, and two of those were the Militao towering headers, which, I mean, I, I just can't get over what an aerial presence he is and what an offensive weapon that is. Like, the it's how many games has he played now? And this is kind of the first time we're really un, unlocking that and unleashing it. Like, he is a weapon on set pieces and something we can definitely utilize in the future. And... Honestly, I, I saw a lot of people saying it's it's a Ramos parallel in that he can score goals and he can get you those. Such a he's such a weapon there, and I I I agree. I think that's I I didn't know he had this. I mean, I kind of remember from his Porto days in the scouting report you and Ohm did, but like just having not seen it for so long, it it was really just I was taken aback by how just powerful he is and just incredible his leap and his ability to get so much pace behind those headers. So, um, but just yeah. that, just that, I just want to finish off with just saying like that 10 minute period, I felt like I was so disappointed Madrid didn't 
didn't capitalize on it because we had so many chances. Um, and even the Eden Hazard volley, like, yes, that was a little bit difficult, but a player of his skill set and his level, I felt like should have been scoring that. Yeah, I think that one, I mean, it wasn't an, it wasn't the easiest chance, but I would have liked to have seen a cleaner connection with that one. Because obviously he didn't mean to hit that one into the ground because you could just tell the way it bounced off his foot. It wasn't like some people will actually be trained to hit the ball into the ground. Like I remember Ronaldo Nazario after his goal on his debut at Real Madrid, the one where he shoots into the ground on top of the net. He was actually yeah. talking about like, you know, you're actually taught to hit it that way into the ground, sometimes like on a certain volley because it actually, the bounce will like totally throw the goalkeeper off. And if you get it right, it looks really good. But I, I could tell that he didn't, Hazard wasn't trying to do that. You could just tell the way it comes off his foot. So I wanted a cleaner connection on that chance. Um, and that's, you know, you would, if he scores, if he scores a goal like that, there's a huge difference between like our post-game discussion and with or without it. Those are the margins. Like I think if, if he scores that, it's great, even better for his confidence to come away with the goal in that game, but unfortunately didn't come off. But, uh, you know, with Hazard and Chelsea and all this stuff, my personal hunch, right or wrong, is that I think he'll start against Chelsea. Um, when we're talking about rushing him back, now he has a couple, three games under his belt. Only two of them as a starter. And then the other one was off the bench in the first against Chelsea. I think he'll start against Chelsea. I could be wrong on that. I think the problem with Chelsea is that they're so good. I mean, that's the problem. We're playing a good team, unfortunately. Um, but there was this idea kind of building up to that game when you're talking to Chelsea analysts and the uh, the weaknesses that they have. Uh, a lot of them said, we don't want Vinicius running at Azpilicueta. And I think it's difficult to overwhelm Azpilicueta with the way Chelsea cover. Like, it's just difficult. Like, you won't, you're not really going to get into a situation where you get, like, Vinicius in transition against Azpilicueta. It's just going to be so rare and difficult to do. It could happen, but it's not going to be in the flow of the game. Or it's going to be, like, going to go against the grain of the flow of the game is what I mean, if that happens. And in the second half of the game opens up, Tuchel wisely can put... Reese James there and give him some fresh legs, even though Reese James is not the the strongest of defenders. So I do wonder. I'm just thinking back now to remember that the the game against PSG. That's the game where everything went to hell because everything changed within an instant. Where we were dominating PSG, Hazard, Isco, Marcelo, um, Benzema on that left side were just toying with PSG. Yeah. Then uh, Mounier tackled on Hazard. And then I think PSG scored two goals right in the span of like a couple minutes. It was yeah. like sucked the air out of the stadium. I remember being at that game actually. And um, and But I just thinking back to that time, if you really want to make Azpilicueta uncomfortable, you have to like maybe a solution is to kind of just have a bunch of those players there and Vinicius and Hazard and Benzema combining on that left half space behind Azpilicueta. It's easier said than done because, again, Chelsea are so good defensively, but it's something that I thought of. Um, anyways, my, my hunch is that Hazard will start, but I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Zidane, we know how Zidane feels about him, so I wouldn't be surprised. Your point about Militao, uh, the, a weapon, I think you called him, in a good sense. 
Weapon yeah, is yeah. a good thing, right? I've seen it used as a negative connotation yeah. in on Twitter. I think it's a British thing. Um, a good weapon to have. I don't. I think this is the most. I think this particular game is the first time we've really seen Militao go into that mode where he's just attacking cross after cross after cross. He had four shots in this game. Second after uh, Asensio, who had five, and um, all of all of them were headers. And it's just really impressive. Like, I wonder if Ramos is in this game. He probably doesn't have that license, right, to go go, in the, go and meet those headers as much as he does. That Ramos will take that role. I don't know if you can get two center backs doing that because you leave some space at the back. I mean, it's possible. Maybe we don't see it if Ramos is healthy. But that the goal he scored, the XG on that was .01. Just the degree of difficulty to meet that header when you – no matter how many times you look at the replay, no matter how many times you look at it live time, he had like no space to get that off. And he also had, um, who was that monster at the back? Um, was it Adrian Hernandez? The one with the big, the big fro? Oh, the big hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was Ad- Adrian Hernandez, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was like all over Militao on that uh, header too. So it was just a degree of difficulty on that was insane. And it, it's just been an, uh, amazing to see Militao's growth over the past few games. I think a lot of people, I saw a lot of people on Twitter say like he was always this good. I think he was always promising, but to say he was always this good is ridiculous because this past month or so, he's taken an insane leap. Um, my only gripe with him still is some of his passing has put the team in, in tight spots, but coverage in Odriozola great. Um Dispossessing Chimi Avila in a, in a difficult uh, in a, in a time where Chimi was about to get into a dangerous position, massive challenges overall, like defensively, and obviously the four headers. So this is a great Militao performance. I'm just ha- I'm just happy for him. Like I think yeah, it it's so many people wrote him off. I, I myself thought he was gone in the summer. Like whether that is right or wrong, I thought there's there's no way he's gonna stay. He he. He hasn't gotten any opportunities, and he hasn't shown well when he's played. So I thought he was a goner. And, I mean, now we're all, like, this past couple months, that 50-minute valuation looks spot on, if not if not cheap. And that's how well he's played. And you you think about the players he was compared to when we bought him. It was Delitz. It was the young center backs that are generational. And I think he's really performed at a level that makes us all sit back and admire like he has been a monster he's a beast like I think we're all falling in love with him and this is like I'm excited I'm excited again about this young player and and about a lot of the young players coming through and I'm trying to um, maybe contain that excitement and be a little bit more reserved about it because it ebbs and flows with young players but with Millie Tao I just I, I I'm I'm so impressed with what I've seen and so so happy for him I just can't say that enough what did you think of Asensio's performance in uh, the ten roll? I I mean, back and looking, he had five passes in this game. Again, that one set piece, uh, one of them was from a set piece, which was actually an incredible set piece to Militao in the second half. Um, I just I I, lo- I always like when Asensio is a little bit more central. If you think back to when we Agreed. played the three five two, and he he plays in that position. He just plays. He looks more comfortable, and the game the game comes to him a bit more. He's able to play those dagger passes. He had one beautiful dagger pass to Vinicius 
in the second half where Vinicius took that left-footed shot at the near post. So I just feel like this is this is kind of, this is the position he grew up in and was the one he was identified as it was a number ten basically. And it hasn't been till he got further along in his career that because few teams play with a number ten that he's had to adapt to the wings. But with with the change in system and with different personnel out there, I, I like to see him if if we can find a way to shift him more central positions, he he plays so much better there. From that position, he can kind of survey the field really well. Like he can, if he gets the ball in those positions, either he gets it in transition or he carries the ball up the field or he's just an outlet or whatever. When he gets the ball in that zone, in that central zone, he can play ball to either side of the field. He hit Odriozola in a couple overloads on the, on the right side. Um, he had that Vinicius pass that you spoke of. And uh, his crossing is really good. I mean, he cooled off a bit in the second half. His four of his key passes came in the first half, but his first touch, the way he brings it down, is really pretty. Like it's just, it's he's very comfortable bringing the ball down. Like I think Ohm was uh, going at Odrizola for his first touch, criticizing it. Asensio was the polar opposite. Like you can have confidence in him just bringing the ball down really comfortably when it, when the ball like, comes at his feet, no matter the distance, no matter the height, no matter. How, um, how far it's falling down from the sky. He brings it down really well, and his cross is really accurate too. And the way he whips it in is uh, is hard to defend. I like the I like the Asensio performance as well. Um, funny enough, the other ten that we have in the team, not that Asensio is a de facto ten or whatever, but Isco also had a good game off the bench in that role. So, um, what else? Well, just f- yeah, go ahead. Just quickly on the um, Odriozola point that that Ohm made. For those who, who aren't aware, he basically said that Odriozola's first touch is is really preventing him from having a, a, a higher ceiling and, and preventing him from kind of going on and being a good player at Real Madrid. And I I agree with that. Like, I think it's night and day. Dip. Think about Lucas Vazquez on that wing and how many um, big diagonal switches we would play to him. And he took immaculate first touch, first touches, brought it down. And it was enough to either get a cross off or go at his man. Like he set himself up with his first touch. Oviazola on the opposite, on the other end, he stops the ball, and, and his body positioning is all wrong when he gets the ball, and so it slows him down and slows our whole whole ball circulation down. And so I think that's that. Although I think he played better today or a little bit more encouraging and didn't really do too much wrong, I just feel like. He slows our game down too much and can sometimes be a black hole offensively. Well, he, it's kind of, I don't know, is it an oxymoron to say he slows the game down? Even though I exactly, I know exactly what you mean. He is probably one of our quickest players on that we have in the squad. And yeah. uh, <laughs> like, he had a couple of really nice crosses in this game. And uh, the speed on his overloads can get him into positions where he has no business getting it into because just from speed alone. But yeah, I, I for my assessment of his game today, I agree about the first touch thing. Some of that might be mental either way, whether it's technique or mental, probably both. He needs to improve on that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just felt like I'm kind of neutral on his performance today. I don't think he did anything. Um, he really wasn't tested defensively either. And he had a couple of nice crosses. That's kind of where I am on that. Um, Marcelo on the other side is a big talking point especially in the second half which we can get to but did you did you have any notes on Marcelo 
What were your thoughts on him? I know the the narrative basically essentially within 10 seconds of Miguel Gutierrez coming on was that <laughs> Gutierrez in these 10 seconds has done more than Marcelo has in these past two years. So um, what did you think of Marcelo's performance in this game? And uh, do you think he can handle Chelsea at Stamford Bridge? Honestly, um, I didn't have, I don't think I have a single note on Marcelo. Like he and Vinicius were very quiet on that left side and you expect to get more out of them. And he even, even defensively, we know he's going to, he's going to leave that space behind, but he didn't provide anything offensively, which we can usually get out of him. We can usually get a couple good services um, and a couple crosses that really strike fear into the opposition, but it just didn't happen today. And, I, given the last match against Chelsea, I don't, I don't, if we can avoid Marcelo out there, I would, I would avoid it at all costs. I know the defense is really on thin, thin, thin ice, but I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel comfortable with Marcelo back there, especially if it's a back four. And I wouldn't, I don't know. I know, I think we put out a um, poll saying, do, do you rather Miguel Gutierrez or Marcelo play against Chelsea? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready to trust Miguel Gutierrez in that type of match, but I definitely don't trust Marcelo. I, I would put Nacho out there or hopefully, hopefully maybe make it. Uh, but we're just, just so squeezed for choices right now. Man, just not having Mendy changes this team so much. I He's so important. You really, you can really see it in games he's not there. I was devastated yeah. that he wasn't in this squad list because now I'm really worried for Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I think Ramos will be back. I think they just didn't want to play him at any cost or even have the temptation to put him on the field in this game. But, uh, but not having Mendy really, really blows because you just don't really have... Like with Ramos' departure, like right now you have Militao playing out of his mind, Nacho playing awesome, and you still have Baran. Which who came off at halftime, but I think he's okay given the post game quotes. But um, but the the left back slot is such a wide open thing, especially if you need Nacho to play center back. Um, really, the only to be quite honest, it's it's the answer to that is going to be neither Gutierrez or Marcelo at Sanford Bridge, unless you get into a situation where Varane is not playing and Nacho needs to play center back, and Militao needs to go to right back because Zidane doesn't want to put Odriozola there. That, that's a scenario. Like the right back situation, if Mendy doesn't return, then you might have to put Nacho at right back, I guess. Not Militao. You can go to Nacho at right back, then you go Militao uh, or Varane, Ramos, whoever. and then Or you can here's, go three at the back and do a left wing back thing, and that becomes a different discussion too. But it's probably, Here's a question for you. Kian. Yeah, go ahead. If we do a back four... And you have to have one of these two in the back four. Who do you prefer, Marcelo or Odriozola? Mm. Odriozola. Wow. Because Odriozola will at least track. Yeah. Like, Odriozola might not give me much confidence, but at least I'll know he'll sprint back in transition. And, that, and he has the speed to do it. Marcelo, he just, he just, he just jogs. He just, he's done. He's, I don't think he, he can do it. I don't trust him to do that. Well, even when he sprints, it's like, it looks like a jog yeah. at this point. It's sad, but it, it's true. So, yeah, if Mendy can't go against Chelsea, that would be devastating. But, uh, 
With Varane, we can talk about Varane now. By the way, you're right. That left side from Real Madrid was really quiet. Like, especially Vinicius. And this is the thing when you put Vinicius and Hazard together. I feel like one of them suffers. And in this game, it was Vinicius. He only had 31 touches. Um, Marcelo had 70, and they both played the same amount of time on the field. But um, I guess Vinicius had moments, which he should have done better. One was that shot where he sliced the ball, and the ball bounced up into the box, and Asensio took a shot. Um he had moments like that. Maybe he could have capitalized it better. But every time he got the ball in the box, he like eight players collapsed on him and he couldn't get the ball into any meaningful position. He would just pass it to someone and, and then that player would get swarmed. So he didn't have much space to work with. Um, but he was definitely very quiet. And I wonder if that had to do with Hazard being on the pitch as well. Um, so Varane. Varane comes off at halftime. And... When my initial reaction to that was, again, that was obviously with zero information, so I have no idea. My initial reaction was, this was probably pre-planned. Like, it's not tactical because you don't make a like-for-like sub in the defense like that for tactical reasons when the when there's not really a drop-off either way. And I kind of was skeptical that it was injury-related because I, because Zidane sometimes has this thing, especially when the schedule is so condensed, that he may have very well just said, I'll give you guys each 45 minutes before Chelsea, so you guys get 45 minutes rest each as well. Um, then there, but I was I wasn't sure again, and I wasn't like 100% confident. But that was my gut feeling. Then the reports started to come out like midway through the second half that Varane has a little bit of a knock, and Zidane said after the game that it that uh, he doesn't think it was that serious, and Varane himself said it wasn't that serious. So I imagine we'll know more at halftime, but. Um, <laughs> If Varane can't go, this becomes you start to have to really start to shift the the chess pieces around and uh, and try to make it work against Chelsea. I wanted to ask you this: How impressive would it be if, like, honestly, this honestly speaking, because my expectations are not that high right now because the teams left in the Champions League, all three of them apart from us, are really really good teams. And we're just wounded. We're just wounded trying to drag ourselves to the finish line like without legs. It's just like we're we're trying to tug a rope and pull ourselves in and our legs are gone. How impressive would it be if we won even a trophy at this point? I think I would rank it up as one of the more difficult ones we've won, especially the Champions League one. The La Liga one I'd be impressed with, um, but I also would be, I also think, I'd be disappointed with all the previous points we've dropped prior in the season. So that kind of would stand for me, but obviously still be impressive. But the Champions League one, if we pulled it off today, I just want to call it now. It's It's got to be the probably after, I don't know, it's got to be like probably the second most impressive one I've seen, just given the circumstances, the, the, the amount of injuries and all that. Oh, I completely agree. Like I just... I had zero expectation that we would be in this position by the end of the year uh, to be competing for both La Liga and the Champions League. I did not expect that at all, especially given where we were like from September to January, how we were playing, where we were in the standings. Um, I just, the competition that we, that we had to play against, like even Atalanta, when we first got drawn against them, considering how we were playing, we were all very worried about that tie. And so I I'm I'm amazed at where we are and that's that's a credit to this team they battled hard I think um like the Millie Tao situation 
honestly, I don't think any credit goes to Zidane there. That all, all the credit goes to Militao because Zidane was never going to play him if Varane, Ramos, and Nacho were all fit. But because of these injuries, because Zidane insisted on playing everyone without rotations, this is kind of where we're at now. Um, this is why we have this. Part of the reason why we have this injury crisis in a, in a COVID-compacted season so all the credit there goes to Militao and goes, I think goes a lot of it should go to the players. Uh, yes, a lot of it should go to Zidane as well, but a lot of it, like, opportunities that Militao has gotten in others, like Antonio Blanco, I don't think Zidane was ever going to consider him if he didn't have this injury crisis. So that, that goes to the players and being prepared and taking their opportunity. Somebody asked, I, I, I think it was on the Thursday mailbag, that... Uh... Should Asensio have um, not sorry not not Asensio? Should Odegaard have stayed and been more patient? Or no, actually, the question was: Did Real Madrid make a mistake in selling us uh, or in loaning out Odegaard um, because of what what we're seeing with Militao now? And I, my honest feeling was that it's you Odegaard wouldn't have gotten the opportunity that Militao was getting now because. Our midfielder at midfield, thankfully, knock on wood, has been intact apart from getting tired. So he would Odegaard just would have had basically split East Coast minutes, and those are base have basically been nothing. So I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. Anyways, but my point in saying this is not to bring Odegaard in the discussion. My point is to um to say that Militao got a little bit lucky here with what's been happening to our defensive line. Yeah. And I'm not taking yeah. any credit away from Militao because he took advantage of his luck. Like a lot of players wouldn't have done that, so just good vibes all around. And uh, you, the only there's like that expression in sports: next man up, next man up. Next man up sometimes can be a blessing, but it can also be terrible, and and your season can go to shit because of it. Because your next man up just won't possibly won't take advantage. But when they take advantage, it's such a good feeling because it it shows that you had gems in there ready to be polished. They didn't know you had before. And if Militao didn't experience this run and we didn't get to see it, we would have started to talk about these new center back signings this summer in a different light. We would have been like, oh, we can't trust Militao. We have to we have to sign somebody. Now we're losing Ramos. And now like we have to we have to make sure Ramos doesn't leave. Just this whole run has been a blessing because uh he took advantage. And so we're really we're all kind of all lucky to have seen this from Militao, so that we can have a easier like squad planning, like vision in mind when it comes to building the backline. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the other thing too is next man up may take two seasons. It took two seasons for Militao. He had to wait. Basically, he lost until this last quarter of the season. Like, how many games realistically is he getting a percentage piece out of this whole season? probably like 25% if if less maybe probably less than that even so it took him two full seasons to actually get this opportunity and sometimes our players willing to wait for that your career is short and so um i guess that's just the question that that players have to answer in their head yeah uh all right so let's talk about the second half and going into halftime matt what did you think we needed to do to score a goal um, like we were knocking on the door, what what could we have done differently than what we were doing in the first half? Well, set pieces have been really dangerous for us 
all season. And given how Melita was connecting with all of them, I thought that could continue to be an opportunity for us. I noticed that all of our corner kicks were played short, except mm. for the corner kick we scored from, which was the Isco corner to, to Militao. So that was actually interesting. Um, other than that, I thought it, it would have to come from that that attacking quadrant, the four of them combining in and around the box, like they did that one time uh, right at the start of the game. And I wanted to see more of that, and it just never happened. But I felt like to break down, especially as Osasuna kept going deeper and deeper into their into their low block, to break that down, you have to have quick one-twos, quick combinations, deft little touches. And so that's that's what Hazard, Benzema, those are what they're experts at. And so I was hoping to see more of that. I was hoping that's how we would break them down. And it just it never really materialized. Well, when I... I especially the way this game was going and, and it kind of like got more difficult in the second half because Osasuna again went into a deeper block. Like they were defending in like a 4-5-1 in the first half and they were going like with a deep bank of six for large stretches of the second half. I think you just needed more incisiveness and more line breaking that you already had. And you should theoretically get that quite a bit from Hazard and Asensio and Vinicius. And I think especially with Hazard and Vinicius, they at, they at least tried. Um, but I was impressed with what Rodrigo did off the bench and immediately when he picked the ball up he tried to to go at go at Osasuna a little bit so his first touch and dribble is like he, he dribbles down line and he, he sh- or down the middle and he shoots it from distance and comes close and he tried a couple of those sequences in uh, in the second half when he came on and I remember the discussion again, like when we were talking years ago at East Coast Peak how to break low blocks, and we always talked about Isco's unpredictability and his his uh, his ability to kind of shift the defense the wrong way and play a play a, play a unique pass with his vision and his and his technique. And you saw some of that today. Like I, I think he was pretty comfortable in tight spaces. And again, this was a situation where Osasuna were swarming and hounding everyone in the box. And um, and so I, I liked his cameo as well. Obviously, he opens the the scoring with an assist to Militao. It was a nice ball into the box. Again, Militao, I mean, that's Militao's goal, but it was <laughs> it was a nice cross as well. So, uh, by the way, even the short corners you mentioned, I liked our short corner sequences. Like, there was one that Militao got a really good header on, and that, that started from a short corner where Asensio, I think, plays it short, and then the ball goes to Blanco, and Blanco, instead of swinging it in, he plays it back to Asensio, who crosses it into Militao. So, in the second half, it becomes more difficult, but um, credit to Militao for, again, an insane degree of difficulty header. And then we get into just fun things like <laughs> Bet Casemiro's, what do you call that finish? Have you seen I've, Have you seen something like that before? I'm sure I, I have, but it's <laughs> that was just a hilarious finish. In the immediate reaction, I called it a fortuitous touch because that's really what it was. I mean, he got... He just took a touch and it somehow landed into the back of the net. I mean, he, yeah, credit to him for making the run and getting into the race. But like, started from Benzema at the center circle, turning, driving at the back line, and then just finding a little hole in that defense, clipping it through to, to Casemiro. And just he takes one of the luckiest touches I've ever seen. But hey, we'll take it to nothing. And from there, it was kind of cruise control. And we could kind of, you could see 
the game was was just we were there to enjoy it. We had the kids on Sergio Arribas, Blanco was still on, Miguel Gutierrez. So it was more of an opportunity to enjoy it. And I do think the subs, I think Zidane got it right with the subs, and they made it all made a difference. Like Rodrigo, you mentioned, he had that shot, and then he had that uh, he drew that foul going one v one just outside the box. Then he had a great run down the right where Casemiro played a perfect ball to him. Um, so he was really active when he came on and made that difference. He was a spark like we needed. Same for Isco. I thought, and I think Isco has looked pretty good in his in his substitute appearances of late. So he's almost always it, good on the ball. Like if nothing yeah. else, like even when he doesn't yeah. do anything else, like when he has the ball at his feet, it's like incredibly rare that he loses it. Yeah, he's still he's still got that. He'll he'll never lose that. Um, and then I was I was writing the immediate reaction, so I haven't seen as much of like the M- Miguel Gutierrez moments, but like everybody's blowing up about him. So do you have an opinion on that, Dion? <laughs> I do. I mean, it's funny because part of it, again, it's like the hysteria of anyone but Marce- Marcelo, plus a kid <laughs> from the Castilla team. It's like before he even stepped foot on the field, everyone was like, "Oh, this guy's <laughs> all, like already better." Like, uh, so, but uh, he. He confirmed it. I mean, he played well. I think what what struck me about Miguel Gutierrez was um, the thing you spoke about with Antonio Blanco with the confidence in the body language. He has that. He's a good ball carrier. I think the first or second touch he had was he carries the ball up the field. And um, like without hesitation, without any jitters, he looked confident. He carries it well. And then he lays it off to the wing and he makes an underlapping run. So... I like what I saw from Miguel Gutierrez. Again, it's a short sample size. He didn't play that much. And he didn't have much to do defensively either. Um, But he looked comfortable with the ball at his feet. He had 25 touches, I think it was, by the end of it in his, like, 25, 27 minutes or whatever it was. And he looked good. Um, He also... I noticed... Yeah. What I noticed um, every time I popped my head up was... It felt like he was playing uh, as an interior fullback and and just allowed yeah. that left side to be free to Asensio, who was playing on the left by then. Yes. Uh, and he was very. It looked like he was very comfortable. Like at times, he was, looked like a central midfielder. Yeah, he was playing quite. He was kind of playing in that half space and making underlapping runs, kind of like what Regulon would do at Sevilla at times. And uh, I, yeah, I liked him. Again, I don't even think he misplaced a single pass. Yeah, he completed all eighteen of his passes attempted. Um, and didn't really have anything to do defensively, so I thought he was good. By the way, where are you on? A bunch of people on Twitter are calling him Guti. <laughs> Is that? Do we have any objection to that? You can't if just. If we do, I would call. I would call him Miguel Guti at least, not just Guti. Yeah, that seems like it has to be. There has to be some kind of compromise here. Like I get Guti is technically short for Gutierrez, so they're not technically wrong, but. I feel like you can't just start calling him Guti. Like, it just... Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I'm with you on that. <laughs> uh, also, like, we have how many secret weapons now? I was trying to tally this up on Twitter. Mendy, right foot. We have the Vinicius deflected goal. We have the Casemiro playing the Van Boston role. And now we have the Militao header, which is like basically pure math. He just, he, it's incredible how he just gets on the ends of those 
crosses like at will. I I really didn't know he was this good at that. It's amazing. So we well, have a bunch another of another one to add. Him. Another one to add to that is like the third minute Sergio Ramos bomb into the into the box and try and get a header, even though even when the game zero zero and there's nothing on the line yet. Yeah, the progression of Ramos charging into the box earlier and earlier with each passing game in his career is remarkable. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do a quick scan. What else did we miss? What What did we miss? What did you have? Let's look. Um, I don't know. I think I think we got most of it. I I miss kind of the final bits of the game. Just that was, I I feel your pain there doing the immediate yeah. reaction. You miss some stuff. So, so just um, with Casemiro's goal, I think it's easy to get lost in the hysteria of his finish. The pass from Benzema was incredible. It was yeah. very and the good. run, just the run overall. Yeah, everything. It, and it it started actually funny on that sequence. It did start with the Gutierrez. Um, he pressures the ball in midfield and causes a turnover. And Benzema's run and pass was very Guti-esque. I think, I want to say Guti like versus Sevilla in one of those years had a pass very similar to that. Um, there was a lot of traffic, a lot of players in the way to squeeze that ball through. And it was just a really beautiful pass. I, I don't think that should be swept under the radar. And Benzema didn't really have a very uh, great game. Like it wasn't much that he did in this game and actually struggled to find space. And had some way over hit passes, but that that moment made up for it. Also, I, this kind of get lost, got lost into it. I don't know if you saw this. Militao, ten of eleven long balls completed. Wow, this seems pretty no, significant. I didn't see that. Yeah. Did you see uh, Antonio Blanco had um, ten recoveries in this game? That's amazing. Second highest uh, on the field. He had quite a bit also against Cadiz. I don't remember what the number was, but um, I don't know if it was quite ten, but uh, that that's impressive. Um, we have a question. I just want to do a quick, uh, quick rundown and see if we missed anything. I think we got everything. Um, I guess shout out to Chimi Avila who had some nice touches in this game. Nice to see him back on the field. Scored an offsides goal. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That I forgot about that. Um, clearly offside though. So maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, Blanco defense. Odriozola, Asensio. Yeah, I think I think we can, I think we can move to the question. So, um, our patron, by the way, if you want a guaranteed response to your question, go over to Patreon.com/slash/ManagingMadrid, where you will also get access to um, a massive Tuesday preview show with Jose Perez and possibly another special guest for the Chelsea game, and then you also join us on Zoom after the game, and those podcasts uh, continue to be unbelievable. So. Join us on Zoom, uh, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Leon says, thinking about the unfortunate physical situation we find our team in, and and I recall the spot-on article from Mark Ogden last year highlighting the physical challenges teams would face this season. Remembered posting something about it, and sure enough, I found it. Madrid were in a unique position with their depth, and between sales and loans really thinned themselves. I'm sure COVID was the main reason, but it may cost cost us a double in the end. Was it worth it? Thoughts on this? So I think I think we always have to put context around this because Zidane initially to start the season actually rotated quite a bit, but then after the Shakhtar game, you could tell he was he was fed up and his job was on the line at that point. And so once his job was on the line, he just said, "Okay, that's it. I'm not rotating. I'm going with my best players, and I have to win every single game." 
and I don't trust I don't trust these other guys. And so now in a COVID compacted season, when that happens, you you get to this point where we're at in April, May, the final run in and your team's dead and you're losing players every single game. And I think that was a consequence of Sadan's decision, but again, he was put his back against the wall, so he kind of had no choice. My only my only thing to this is if Zidane wins a title this year and he decides to stay on, which is looking likely, um, not we don't know about the title bit, but that he'll stay on, um, I think this gives him more than ever before. And so if he gets into another situation, I think he'll be more apt to rotate because he'll have a little bit more of a leash. And I don't, like, will Florentino really fire him in midway through a season now after everything he's been through this year. Like, I think if it were ever to come, it would be after a full season. So maybe he'll, he'll be more apt to rotate next year because he has the credit and can, and can get away with it. Well, our, 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 so, okay, let's, let's look at this again with hindsight and also our takes during the time when, uh, he wasn't rotating or he wasn't giving playing time to Odegaard and Jovic. Uh, who else? I guess we can put Militao in Militao. that conversation now. Yeah. Who else? Anyone else? Uh, nobody really wanted Isco to play, but Isco wasn't playing. Um, so who else? part of that conversation... I guess Vinicius yeah. Rodrigo to an extent. To an extent, yeah. Part of the conversation then was... We don't want, like, we get it that Modric and Cruz are playing amazing football right now. We're also thinking about springtime and burning these guys out, which I think actually came true. Like, we didn't, we played them into the ground, and this is what we kind of have to deal with now. Uh, so, I, you know, you had to pick your poison. And if you think back, we actually dropped a bunch of those points as well. And so I think the, the concerns are valid. I will also say, again, the context matters, like you said, we we talked about Militao that we kind of got I mean he but all of us got lucky that again I that the word luck is a bad word to use because no one's lucky that anyone got injured. We don't want to see these injuries. But you don't you understand my point that like we all got lucky that Militao rose to the call during these injuries. And um and we can have this discussion that that worked. But with the squad depth, again, I, I think you always have to kind of Look at the scales and what way is it tipping? Would you rather have Odegaard and Jovic playing every game at another team and having them develop? Or would you rather them play once a month here and uh, and just bank on like injuries and stuff for them to actually get any playing time? And again, we didn't really get... The only injury in midfield that we got was to Fede Valverde. And, um, and so I don't know if Odegaard would have gotten many opportunities because if he did... Because if... if it was the, if that were the case, Isco would have gotten more playing time than he had been. And I, so I just think like the part of the point was not just about their development. Was it was about not running into the same problem we got in 2050 when Modric just um, went down and injured and Cruz was on his last legs playing as a defensive midfielder. That's the situation we wanted to avoid. I'm not sure we avoided it. And um, so it, it's, a, it's a difficult conversation to have. But I think in hindsight even, it's... It's tough to say. Like you can't just have, you can't just be so crazy deep in every position, and then expect everyone to just you know be happy. And I I think it's really difficult to juggle that. 
So yeah. I understand that they had to send players on loan. I, I really do. Yeah. I mean, we to your point, we do have examples of this, and it was why we were calling for it, that 2015 season and the, the David Beckham first season, Galactico season in 2003, where they were on set for, for the treble, and then it literally all fell apart in April, May, and they lost everything. So Zidane has seen it firsthand. Um, so this and this season, if we get away with it, it, it will just be by the skin of our teeth. So we, I think we dissected this game pretty well. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday, as I said. See you guys over on patreon.com slash managing We really look forward to seeing you there. Um, and on the Wednesday postgame podcast, it could potentially be our last Champions League game of the season. Or it could potentially be a crazy party where we're talking about the Champions League final. So either way, it's either therapy or a party. And we really want you to be a part of it. So go to patreon.com slash managing Madrid to, to join us uh, and join the, the army and the family we're building here. Matt, thank you, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I hope you enjoy uh, Valencia potentially taking points off of Barcelona. That would be a nice Sunday Sunday evening to go through. Uh, but either way we'll chat soon and uh, yeah take care my friend thanks 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 for chatting thanks Kian take care alright before we wrap it up we want to give a shout out to our $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast so appreciate all of you and wanted to give you some love so shout out to Bella Chow Brandon Alvarez Willie Reed Wei Perink Wamik Jamal Tyler Simon Tobias Arroyo Botcher Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanshu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Said Mahad, Saad Omar, Rovi Tahiev, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Oli Michael, Nick Ribeiro, Nick Lauer, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Mikel, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Telekar, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, George Tarazi, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eric Rogers, Eloy Enriquez, Daniel Williams, Christian Toth, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fiori Erdman, Armosh, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexis Seniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much. We love you all. And until next time, Hala Marie.